Hey guys, I'm Rob. And I'm Ashton. And this is the We Held It Together podcast. A podcast on faith, marriage, and mental health. And a bunch of random stuff. We hope you enjoy. Hello everyone. Hey guys, how's it going? Happy Good. Friday. <laughs> Um, so we have exciting things happening on our podcast today. Um, we have Elizabeth Friedman here joining us as a guest. Woo! <laughs> no, I say hi, hi. Um, so cool things, how I know her, um, when I bought the store that I now own and run, um, Elizabeth was my store manager. So I inherited her. That was in my you contract, actually. I bought you. Um, not really. That's weird. Um, but I inherited her as my store manager. She had been there six months prior or like a little bit longer. When, when did you buy? Was it July? July. Okay. So eight. Eight months prior. Eight. Yeah. So I. Seven. <laughs> I think we're not. I bought Bella and um, Bella Bridesmaids, shout out, woo, and um, Elizabeth was already the store manager, so I um, got her take, to take on as a store manager. So we became really close in the time that I was owning. We went through a lot together <laughs> in those first few months, um, kind of learning the ropes together, which was really amazing. Um, we did New York trips together to go to Fashion Week, Bridal Market. And um, just really had a blast. So here she is, people, Elizabeth Friedman. It's me. <laughs> um, good times. Yeah, so while we were, I guess I will kind of cover, like, while we were at Bella, Elizabeth talked a lot about mental health to me. So I mentioned her in episode one, how she educated me a lot in the early days before it entered into our marriage and our life yeah. of mental health. and um, Which trickled to me. Right, yeah. which I would tell Robert about a lot of the things that you were teaching me. Um, but through that time, you spoke a lot about um, eating disorders and depression and mental health as a whole, mental illness. And um, I learned a lot, but I always would tell you that it was a passion that I like really admired in you. And eventually, um, after two years of being together as in the store, um, Elizabeth told me that she was going to go back to school for nutrition. So she is now at North Carolina Central University. And do you want to tell us a little bit about like kind of what you're doing at NCCU? Sure. Um, so I'm in school for um, nutrition and dietetics which I got into from my own experience with eating disorders, um, except I want to practice a little differently, and I want to take an anti-diet approach. Um, health at every size is the scope I'll be practicing from, um, abbreviated as HAYS, so if you hear that again, that's what I mean. Um, it's weight neutral, um, and yeah, I really learned it from having an eating disorder, but as I learned it, um, and really got into, like, um, anatomy and physiology and that sort of thing, I was like, we're getting fed a lot of false information from the diet industry. Um, we're all getting told we need to be thinner, prettier, um, all that, and it's just uh, creating a really kind of vicious cycle. Diets don't work. Um, <laughs> neither does my pleasures. Okay, um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. I did not want to go back to school. But, but you did. Yeah, eventually. So are you getting your master's right now, or are you getting... I'm kind of working on both, but I will end with a master's. Okay. In You're going back for like a second bachelor's degree, correct? Yes. I'm in a program that is an accelerated bachelor's master's, so I'm working on both a bachelor's and master's at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a blast. Oh, I so <laughs> is. You have to pay me to go back to school. But that's what I always said. <laughs> I'm not, I'm paying them. Yeah, they are not paying me. <laughs> yeah. So would you say your passion for all this came from a personal walk through it? I don't think I would have otherwise been exposed to it. Um, and that's why I try to talk about it so much is because had I not, unfortunately, had an eating disorder, yeah. I would have never known this kind of approach to nutrition and um 
body image and movement. Um, and so because I learned it through my own experience and then realized I was able to kind of just like see in the world where, where diet culture pops up, which is yeah. a lot more than you think it is, I think. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I wouldn't say that I struggle with an eating disorder by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that negative body image plays out very early on in a female especially. But Robert, you've actually shared with me in the past about experiences that you've had with negative body image in like elementary school, I think. Is that right? Yeah, well, I think um, we... For some reason, like my, the way I grew up was we would get fat and then we'd pop up and get tall. And well, it was um, like your genetics. Like it wasn't like your mom and dad. Yeah, like, no. To fat you no, they didn't like grow. yeah <laughs> extra like a, portions. Like a <laughs> right. It, I mean, that's what it was. But yeah, it was like so during that time of me kind of growing um, horizontally. <laughs> and I just want to say that that is. A- big point with the whole like quote unquote I'm doing heavy air quotes um over child obesity people yeah. get freaked out because the, you usually like plump up and then you, up, and then you, and you grow. grow but people think there's a child obesity epidemic yeah so I think like you struggled with that as a male which I was kind of shocked about hearing about that when we were dating yeah yeah when I was young I mean it's not something that's really carried on but um, yeah, I remember it affecting me at some level. Yeah. And because I mean, yeah, y- you feel like you're the only one. I mean, you definitely, if you're slightly different, especially in those younger years, yeah, yeah. It, you, it just amplifies. And I think being a female, I can look at myself in the mirror if I'm at a different point in my cycle or if I'm, you know, have eaten whatever Chick-fil-A the day before or anything like that, I can feel guilty or really struggle with my body image or the way that my jeans are fitting me a little bit extra tight that day. I struggle with like, why didn't I work out yesterday? Like, why didn't I go for a run when I should have? So I think this is something that we as females, but also like all people struggle with and we don't necessarily realize how much it's spread into our culture or how much it's spread into the things that we're taking in in pop culture right now. It's very normalized. Yeah. Um, you know, Weight Watchers commercials are online or over the compu- the TV and then, you know, even just on the radio, they're on they're all, all over the place. So I think that that's something that we don't realize that I definitely didn't realize until you started working with me and talking about it more so, hearing your experiences, and you were very open and honest with me, which I wasn't used to either, because I think that a lot of times eating disorders, but not only just eating disorders, but mental health, mental illness is hidden. Yeah, And I struggled with that with you, like where you hid it, but you were, Elizabeth, were very open and honest with me from the beginning that you had battled with an eating disorder, And I think that that was very refreshing, but also kind of like, whoa, you know, like people don't talk about it. (laughs) And I like, I need to sometimes remind myself to like, maybe when I meet someone like brand new and I'm like, especially like on a date, maybe (laughs) say some stuff for for later. Cause I just, I'm so used to like staying on this level of like, we talk about about mental health. We talk about. Yeah, all the things that are awful. And that's good. It's not a bad thing. I think it's sometimes because cultural, culturally, (laughs) (laughs) we are not used to that. We're not used to being so open and vulnerable with people about where we are emotionally. So, just interesting. Well, yeah, there's just, um, there's like gender roles that people fall into. I think that was mentioned. But, yeah, that's that's it's guys need to be tough and whatever the protector and girls need to be this small tall whatever you know so you have to be dainty so you can pick us up and protect us yeah um that's awesome for me i just want to put that out there um so when do you feel like your battle with like nutritionally started but also mentally kind of how did that all pair together for you? When did that start? Mm-hmm. At what age do you feel like that started? Um, so I moved from Northern Virginia down to North Carolina. 
um, where we are today. When I was mm, like 13, so when I started high school is when I started, I think it initially kind of started with depression, but of course we don't talk about depression, so I didn't really know that that's what I was experiencing. And that depression kind of turned into an eating disorder. It's like I needed something to cope, kind of. Yeah, control, yeah. Was it more of like a control thing or more of like a cope thing? I or a both. <laughs> I don't know. Like I know control is a very big thing with eating disorders. I don't. I think for me it was maybe more coping. Okay. Because yeah, I had like a no friends, um, <laughs> and that lasted all through high school. This was not just when I started. Um, yeah. So. I, I think it just kind of came up as a coping mechanism. And again, even when I'm, you know, using very clear eating disorder behaviors, again, nobody really knows about it. And so it, it gets overlooked. Or um, I started out having anorexia. That's, I've kind of had different eating disorders, but with anorexia, a common symptom, though not always, part of anorexia. What I'm trying to say is it can happen to anybody at any size. But point being, it's very common to lose weight. Right. And everyone praises you for it. Right. No one's concerned until right. it gets bad. Really dangerous. And even then for people that are already in larger bodies, when they lose weight and you don't see them get to this you know, what people visualize as dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, then nobody raises a red flag. Right. Because oftentimes that is something where we will say, wow, you look great. Have you lost weight? Mm -hmm. It's something that I think it's um, normal in our vocabulary. Yes. So for us, it's not an abnormal thing. Yeah. It's seen as a good thing that you compliment. Okay. You compliment people for shrinking. Right. So um, so that's kind of where that started and went downhill pretty quick on that one. Uh, ended up um, in the hospital. So, sorry to stop you, but to go back, you mentioned kind of the signs. What, can you expand on that? Yes. Besides the weight loss. Like, what were your yeah. signs and symptoms leading up? Sure. Um, and it's, it's kind of different with every eating disorder, so I definitely don't want to, like, overgeneralize. But what, I, what behaviors I was using at that time, a lot of food manipulation. So, it would take me... I think I used to make myself take half an hour to eat a yogurt um, because I I would manipulate food and move the way that I would like cut it up to tiny pieces or I would make myself wait 10 minutes between each bite of sushi or with yogurt I would like dip the spoon and then I'd tap all the yogurt off and then I'd lick the spoon. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, so that like food manipulation, um, I had an obsession with feeding other people um, so, so was, you were watching other people eat, but maybe, like, you weren't eating with them. I was making food for them. Yeah. I don't like cooking, and I don't like baking, but I had a cupcake business. Sort of, I mean, a night Your cupcakes dinner. are phenomenal, by Thank the way. you, thank you. They actually, <laughs> yeah, once I ate them myself years later, I was They're like, so wow. good. <laughs> we love your cupcakes. <laughs> um, so that started out of my eating disorder. Yeah, just trying to feed other people, because then I could look at them and say, I'm quote-unquote stronger or better because I'm not eating the cupcake. I'm, I'm like, you're, yeah, you're strengthened yeah. by the yeah. fact that you're resisting the cupcake. Yes, again, not true, um, very disordered thinking. <laughs> um, so that was a thing. Um, I hid my food. I hoarded some food. Like, I'd have a, like, storage in my closet of things that I would wanted to eat but didn't let myself and was hoping that like whenever whenever magical day was coming I would let myself eat those things yeah like, like you never touched them. it you just kind of looked at it there was like, never yeah. that day of like just binge eating I did end up I ended up binging weekly um and then years later I developed binge eating disorder um so I mean, when you starve yourself for a long t period of time or just deprive yourself of any sort of food for a long period of time your body realizes that it's not getting something. And so it's very, very common for everybody to eat maybe more than their body needs or that they plan to when they restricted food. Like, right. you know, if people go on like a low carb diet and then one day they decide they're gonna 
you know, have a, what's a carb? Oh, the bread. Some like some bread. bread. Yeah, yeah. Potato. Then they, all of a sudden, their brain gets like the taste of it, and it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't had this in forever. I need to get all of it now in case I go through this period of starvation again, and I don't get any carbs again. Right. So that's why people end up like binging. Yeah, binging or just you know maybe eating more than past the point of fullness or something. Which maybe can also then cause guilt, and so then it yep. kind of it just it's like. Yeah. binging and not eating and yeah. Then, yeah so then you feel really guilty about what you ate because diet culture gives food a moral value and then that shame makes you want to starve again and then you starve and then you get hungry and then you binge yeah. and then yeah. for some people there's there's purging in there that's just not a behavior I ever really had so when did you know it was like a problem did you justify you it said you went to the hospital I did yes um, I really genuinely didn't believe I had an eating disorder because what you learn in health class is that if you have anorexia, you don't want to eat food, you think you're fat, um, um, and fat, of course, in that context is used negatively. It's not actually negative. It is neutral. Anyway, um, you, those are the symptoms that you're taught, and if you have bulimia, you are binging, and purging, and you don't learn about any other eating disorders. You don't learn about any other symptoms. Um, That's so true. Yeah, it, there's. It goes so vast and past what we're talking about now, but you know. So I looked at what I was doing, and I was like, I very much want to eat food. I won't let myself, but I very much want to. Like yeah. it was on my mind, twenty four seven. I mean, even while I was asleep. When I started feeling depressed. I just went to like my general practitioner um, who gave me some depression medication. I don't know. It I seems like this story for people who struggle with mental illness is very similar in that like yeah. you don't know where to go so you just go to, you go to your general yeah. practitioner and they're often like, you've got depression, let right. me give you some antidepressants and yeah. that's just like the fix all. And I don't, I don't even know if I really had depression to be honest. I mean I definitely wasn't um, thriving. Right. But... When I look at the depression episodes I have, like, in the last several years, I'm like, oh, man, I knew nothing. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and I think diet plays such a big role in depression and or your mental health. Yeah, so I mean, especially I'm sure that affects it. not eating. You've yeah. got no energy to keep your body functioning. So, right. you're, like, your mood is, like, the last thing Well, in depression, mind. already you have no no energy to function. Right. So your mood's low, your energy's low. So, so I, I'm just imagining that questionnaire you get, and it's like, little energy or pleasure doing things. It's like, yeah, I haven't eaten in forever. Sure. Yeah. And then it's, and you know, like, negative self-image. Probably, yeah. 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 You know, whatever. And then you're like, well, you've got depression. Right. Not an eating disorder. Right. But so for me, because I had the typical image of anorexia, it was caught sooner. So basically, my doctor had me start coming in for weekly weigh-ins. Because your weight had gotten so low. Yes. And so there was one day I went in, and she wasn't able to, like, look at my weight right when I was there. Um, And so they were like, she'll just, you know, call if there's anything she wants to talk about. And so we went home, and sure enough, she called. And um, I just want to put a disclaimer that you can be any weight, I know I've said this, but I really wanted, you can be any weight and have anorexia. So the fact that I got, someone picked it up on me sooner was just because I had that lower weight when so many people never get help because, because of that. And because the insurance doesn't cover you if you're not at a certain BMI classification. Right. So, you know, in that way, I was, I guess you could say lucky because I fit the, the norm of what we thought anorexia should look like. And my doctor called us and said she has to get in the hospital or I'm not seeing her. Um, and then I think she contacted the therapist that she had recommended me to. It was not great. Um, I don't know why she did not know that I had an eating disorder. I don't, I, I brought her cup. I brought my therapist cupcakes. And watched her with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, so, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you your weight or what you were down to because we don't need to know that. And that's obviously something I learned from you. Is like it's not something that matters in the long run. Mm-hmm. 
Um, however, like health wise, so you, your parents were living with you, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a freshman and, in high school. And did they, like, did they recognize this, that you were losing your offense weight? I know, like, when you're with somebody daily, you don't see those changes as no. much because you see them changing daily. But do you feel like your parents had cause for concern? Or do you feel like it was kind of one of those things where maybe it, it was a little bit over their head because you were doing it so privately? Both. Um, they were concerned. My friends at school were concerned. Um, but at the same time... I was such a rule follower and such a goody two-shoes that um, my parents also trusted me. Right. And so when we'd have these conversations about, like, you're not eating, um, which is just a, you know, you don't really know what else to say. Right. Before you've learned about eating disorders, how to, how to talk about it. And I'd be like, oh, I promise I will. I will definitely start eating. Eating. Um, so did your <laughs> friends at school come to you and say something to you as yeah. well? Yeah. Mm. And that didn't go over well. Mm. <laughs> you know, you don't know how to do it when you're right. not educated on it. And so, um, yeah, no, basically, they, it showed up in the form of them just making fun of me. Oh. You know? Um, Which, at, like, 14, it was like, like, one. Yeah, it's it probably not, just uh, amplifies you know, it. Yeah. For my birthday, I got a cake that they decorated with the names that they called me. Oh, good. Yeah, it was... It was so much fun. Um, Some good friends. Yeah, so you can see where this all stemmed from. Um, my doctor, yeah, basically kind of set off alarms, and then I had to go through some testing. I had to get, like, an EKG to make sure that I wasn't at risk of heart failure um, in, like, the next few days because I was going to get admitted to um, UNC's eating disorder unit. Um, but they just had to make sure while they were waiting for a bed to open up that I wasn't at risk of um, any big medical emergency. Okay. Mm. So w was there anything that was of concern? Like, were your muscles deteriorating or, like, your organs shutting down at that point or anything like that that was, like, a major cause for concern? Or no? It was just your weight? Um, when they ran the EKG, the EKG came back normal. Um, I have no idea about the blood work. I don't even know what you look for there, so... Mm. Like, low um, iron, I would assume? Should probably know this. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would absolutely make sense. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So they, but all. I mean, the other stuff was normal. Um, I was orthostatic, just meaning that like my blood pressure would uh, really drop when I go from sitting to standing, from mm -hmm. being so dehydrated because you also don't want to put any fluids in your body because you know water weight. That, that adds weight. Yeah. Um, so. But that was that was really it physically for me. So at that point, you're getting admitted into UNC's hospital. You're 14 or 15? Yes, at that point I was 15, yeah. So did you feel like, no, these people are crazy. I don't have this. Like, this yeah. is such an issue yeah. that, like, they're forcing me to do this. Or were you totally compliant? Like, way point? blown out of proportion. I was, I, again, both. <laughs> yeah. I was compliant because I was a rule follower and... I was fine with going in. I think because at that point I was so desperate for somebody just to make me eat because I wasn't going to do it. But if you tell me that this is the rule, this is what we do, I'm going to follow the rules. And so I was almost excited or just like relieved I think, right. that I wasn't going to have a choice. I was going to actually eat food that I was thinking I was going to be in there for like three days. Um, so I went... What did scare me was when they started talking about just, like, hospital procedures, which was things like, um, you can't have shoes with shoelaces or any clothing with drawstrings in case someone tries to, would use it to hurt themselves, um, which <laughs> makes sense. Right. But Been there, 15, done that. Right. As a 15-year-old, <laughs> hearing that. You're on, like, a rubber bed with, like, a rubber toothbrush. Oh, my gosh. Like, Everything's rubber. The rubber toothbrush is the worst. How are you supposed to brush your teeth with something that's wobbly? I don't know. The best was a toothbrush, actually. Really? Yes. The best was when Robert called me and told me that he was trying to take notes while we were on the phone, and his pen or pencil was rubber, and it was bending while it was in his hand, and I couldn't stop laughing on the phone, but yeah. I felt bad, but it was like... He was so sad at the same time. He was, like, <laughs> laughing about this rubber pen or pencil that he couldn't 
take notes with. You kind of have to laugh at that stuff. You kind of have to laugh at it. I mean, my shower would shut off after a minute and a half. I don't really know the reason for that one. <laughs> That's a good like, point. I don't know. Yeah, everything's um. Velcro. There's nothing coming out of the walls. There's no surfaces. I mean, it's just, well, I don't know how extensive <laughs> no, 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 yours no. was. But. <laughs> that, that makes sense. I will say, being in a unit that was designed specifically for eating disorders, it wasn't as um, suicide prevention proof. Yeah. That's the official name of it. But <laughs> that was my like, 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 sum it up way of saying uh, that's what it was. They didn't focus as much on those things as much as they did. Like, you can't come in with anything that could be a container in case somebody used it to throw up. So, oh. Yeah. Okay. So nothing like that. Oh, man. Different way of thinking. Yes. Things like um, all doors have to be open in case somebody started exercising. Um, like, if because we all have rooms and roommates and whatever but you know, because you, you don't close the door but you also you. don't think about that like mm-hmm. you just mentioned exercising I think there are people who battle like an eating disorder that maybe or a disorder of health um, of weight that maybe we haven't touched on and not that we're going to touch on all of them because there's so many but it's people over exercising mm-hmm. and you don't think about that as a way to continue to, to watch your weight, to manage your weight, is by over-exercising. And there are people that, I mean, I even knew in college that would go for, like, five runs a day for hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And I would never really understand why they would want to put themselves through that torture. But it is a thing that people struggle with, is, like, I have to exercise because it's the only way that I can manage my weight. It is or also feel a little way. bit of, it's the weight management, but it is also a little bit of that kind of maybe torture is a strong word but it is like some sort of punishment i mean yeah yeah, because typically people with eating disorders are very um like deeply feeling caring sensitive people um and so to them those thoughts kind of come more easily like i need to be punished for getting to work late like i mean anything um and so exercise can be a way to do that. Restricting can be a way to do that. Purging can be a way to do that, which exercising actually can be a way of purging. Um, which also people don't talk about. Right, yeah. You think purging means um, forcing yourself to throw up, but really anything that you do to overcompensate for what you've, the energy that you put in your body via food, um, yeah, purging can kind of fall under that category. Laxatives, diuretics, those all kind of fall under it too. So... But I, I, I've never, um, you don't have to love exercise to be addicted to it at all, but I, I'm not a mover, I will say, I will say that. Yeah. Do you think that, like, deep down, people know, like, deep down, it's an issue? Mm-hmm. What, you mean personally? Sorry, I... Like, personally. Like, I know that I have an eating disorder. Like, I know there's an unhealthy relationship I there was with... something. Yeah. But at the same time, I was still so stuck even like I mean I'm in a hospital I've got the bands on my wrist and I'm still like I just wanted to eat healthier yeah I'm blank but I mean I think the same question can go for you or for anybody else who's struggled with like suicidal thoughts or you know depression or bipolar disorder it's like deep down did you know that something was wrong because you were suppressing it so much um to be honest yeah I know Curveball. <laughs> to be honest, no. So that's where I think maybe things are a little bit different, and, and maybe not everybody who has an eating disorder. And I don't think everybody's like has my story. Oh yeah, I think there's a lot of people with eating disorders that are unaware because because we're told this is what it looks like to be anorexic. This is what it looks like to have bulimia. There's no other eating disorders. If you don't look like that, you are fine. If you don't act these ways, you are fine. And so they get grossly overlooked. Um, and with, for me, with depression and anxiety, I was already aware of those. And so when I did feel anxiety and depressed, it was very clear to me. Um, but I do also, know people where like they didn't even know really what it was or what the symptoms were yeah which or yeah, you didn't. didn't just no education didn't. on it yeah yeah and, that, and that's i mean going back to like what we learn in school in our health classes i mean 
I was in public school for sixth grade and then I went to a private school, which is where we met. But I think I remember taking my health class in public school for nine weeks. You do it for nine weeks. And it was on drugs, sex, and then anorexia and bulimia. And those were the four things that we learned about in those nine weeks. And that was it. And they passed out condoms to everybody in the class. They talked about not getting pregnant. They talked about drugs and what that would look like to do to your body. I think we had to watch a video on people who had like been meth addicts or something. And then so many scare tactics. <laughs> and yeah. then you know, and then we talked about anorexia and bulimia. And those that was it. And, and so, then you watch a lifetime movie you know, where a girl gets better at the end of the hour and a half. Yeah, probably. So I think like you're right. I think growing up there is lack of education and not that the schools need to be the only answer to that. I think we're learning too as a married couple who hopes to have kids soon, like you have to you, like talking to your children and educating your children on things that you're aware of, which not everybody's aware of those things. Mm-hmm. Also, will help to make there be a more open dialogue in that regard. On especially harder issues. Right. Yeah. 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 Even sex. It's like something yeah. that you like. That's not. That's such a taboo conversation to have with you know your kids or something. But I think the more you find that your parents are open about it and talk about it, it can be more of an open dialogue. Where they're more comfortable yeah but every family is different so I actually did for um, my public health class we did a um, community needs assessment and I did it on um, eating disorders in Wake County public schools and so I was looking at um, the curriculum for health education and I think there was like three clarifying objectives that talked about eating disorders and understanding what a, I'll say balanced diet, which really just means like getting variety of food groups right. out of, oh gosh, I don't even know how many, I think it was like, there were maybe like 60 and there were three that, you know, looked at that. Um, and then anything else that was relating to health and um, eating habits or exercise was just talking about Heavy air quotes again. I keep looking at the microphone whenever I want to like. It's recording. Yeah, you know I'm looking. <laughs> I see like, you. I'm like looking at the audience when I'm looking at the microphone. Um, heavy air quotes. It talked about obesity, which a lot of um, anti-diet dietitians will tell you that o- the fact that we have a quote-unquote obesity epidemic is. It just takes everything out of context. I mean, you first have to acknowledge that obesity is a BMI standard. BMI only looks at height and weight. It's, you know, BMI research was funded by companies that make weight loss pills. It's, you know, it's not, and weight doesn't tell you your health. It can be one indicator amongst many other things, but your weight alone does, doesn't tell you. It does not tell you. So, I'm going to circle back just okay. a little bit. Right. Yeah, I, that's interesting. Um, well, you can keep going. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fine. I was just going to circle back because I, I wanted to ask you that um, kind of like a, like a two-part question, which is what do you feel like your friends and family did while you were in the hospital or on your recovery journey, which I know goes far beyond the hospital yes. stay, yeah. um, which we've learned that. So... I mean, just, it's, that, that's just, I think that's something that's mistaken. I am to blame for that. I fully believed that Robert was going to go into the hospital and then he was going to come out like this whole new <laughs> man. <laughs> and I, I think I, obviously, not disappointed, but I was, definitely had to retrain my thoughts to that. Yeah. So, you know, as a family member, I've had to learn what helps during that process as well. Also, what hurts. And, you know, do you feel like there were things that your family or friends did during that process of healing? Um, And maybe you don't feel like you're fully healed. Maybe you feel like you still have ways to go. But um, do you feel like there was stuff that they did that helped or, like, hindered you through that process? Um, Yeah. And when I was in inpatient treatment, I also was only, of course, treated for anorexia because that's what I had at the time. Right. So I had no information on, you know, years later when I would have binge eating disorder. I would almost say that was 
harder because it only became an official diagnosis in 2013. And so my family was very confused when I was like, I have binge eating disorder. And they're like, everybody overeats sometimes. Right. You know? Um, but as far as when I was an inpatient, they always came to family group. We had family group once a week. Um, and what was really big that's very hard for people to wrap their heads around is we had to stop talking about food in the way of um, this is healthy or you know, I ate so bad or like, you know, fruits and vegetables are good and this stuff isn't. And, you know, kind of giving, we had to take away the morals that you are kind of taught. About yeah. Food. You, that society tells you it's about, you know, what, what foods are what. And, um, so we had to take that away. If anyone was dieting, no more of that. Cause it was very triggering for me. Yeah. Um, no weight talk, no numbers. Um, and as I recovered, you know, those things really don't phase me at all now, but I still think it's a good practice not to talk about them or focus on them at least, um, just because a lot of people have insecurity, insecurities around those things because we're tough too. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of eliminated all of that, which was hard because our whole lives we've been talking about Food. Yeah. And I remember, like, my friends and I would take turns weighing ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. I, don't I can't say that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was only, like, it was only happened maybe a couple times. But it did happen. Um, and Do you feel like that was something that you initiated? No. Because they actually, that was actually after I got out of invasion. Oh, really? uh, One of the times, yeah. They didn't let me see the weight. But I asked them, I was like, is it closer to this or this? And they told me, don't do this. Do not do not tell your friends with eating disorders any numbers like that. But, of course, again, you don't know. So they did tell me. And that, of course, caused, like, a breakdown. And, yeah. It's never helped me knowing those things. Right. Again, now that I'm, like, in a healthier place, I don't really care. Right. But at the time. Yeah. So what do you feel like... Did you feel like there was something that maybe... Friends or family did, I and mean, I know you said that, like, weighing yourselves, but, like, do you feel like there was anything that could have been done better, per se? Like, maybe it's something that you want to let people know in the future if they're around people with an eating disorder of, and maybe they don't know it, but, like, just being aware of maybe it's something that, to hold off on. Ooh, that's hard. I think it would really come down to... Besides group weigh-ins. <laughs> <laughs> um... I, I, yeah, that's, that's a new one for me. I, <laughs> it, was only, it wasn't like a, you know, assembly line of like... Everybody on the like, scale, come on. Anytime you can turn for a second, <laughs> you have to step on the scale. There's a record, you have a binder. No it's like the not. marks on a wall, well, how know. tall you I mean, are. I, like, same can't thing. Even, can you imagine how probably It's like the burn be. book in, in oh um, Girls. Yeah. I, I'm just like shocked a little bit no, of that. We did not, okay, this <laughs> really only happens like two or three times and no it was not recorded anywhere that's good um, and it was only a couple but yeah not a healthy behavior I'm staring at the microphone again don't do that um I've since smashed my scale um shout out southern smash shout out southern smash we'll actually link that in our notes um, for people great um I think it was when you're trying to help somebody um, whether it's, um, whether it's an eating disorder, whether it's depression, whether it's, um, well, I don't know if you, how much you can bring it up to someone's borderline personality disorder, but, you know, <laughs> things, with any kind of, um, mental illness, it's really hard to know how to talk to someone about it, but totally. especially with eating disorders, because, you know, you, you also don't want to address somebody's weight or... Because a lot of it, your mind is so warped that you hear everything as just different than it should be. If people are worried about me, that to me was a compliment. That meant I was succeeding. Because you were looking thinner. Yes. Um, you know, so it, it also... It's just really hard, and I honestly don't have any answers except that if you think someone is struggling, all you can really do is let 
let them know that you're there for them yeah. as a friend. And that's even without bringing up, like, I'm worried about you with yeah. an eating disorder. It's, and I still, like, I, I remember telling you one day at work, yeah. like, I, I had texted somebody who... I was just about to say yeah, that. I Yeah, that was, like, how many years into recovery? Like, I knew better than that, but I still... I still did it because you, you just don't know what to do. You and I still them. haven't. I still do that. Not text people. But, <laughs> but I mean, I I still will, like, Text people about... I, it, was, it was someone that um, I didn't even know that well. Elizabeth felt like she recognized an eating disorder in that person. And tried to, like, yeah. call it out kind of thing. But, like, in a kind, like, I'm here for you. I'm happy to talk to you about my road to recovery, right? I, I think what it was, oh, and it's so cringeworthy, but I think I said, um, I just recognize some of these things in you that, you know, were things that I experienced or whenever, when I was sick, um, if you ever want to talk, blah, blah. Um, and they were very right to kind of redirect me with their response. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going back, like, how do you think your the road with treatment was? Like, I know for me, some of the places I ended up were very uh, pathetic, <laughs> straight up. Um, so were they weren't five stars on Google. No, I don't actually. I actually, looked up one of them and they were one star. They never; those things never. It it seemed like okay, this must be like a tax write off or something, <laughs> because they were not set up to actually help anybody. That's for sure. Oh yeah, um, my favorite documentary that I definitely told you about a million times is Going Sane. Go to goingsane.org. Um, I really should get sponsored. <laughs> um, but it taps into treatment centers. And, you know, who is privately funded, who's funded um, by the, the, the state, federal, I don't, who's not privately funded. The big man. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it goes into that and what that does with policies, what that does with where the money goes, if it's going to actually, like, doctors or if it's going to um, looking pretty and having a spa option. Like, it's... It's mental health has kind of become a big business, really. It's like a business opportunity. It shouldn't be, but that's what it's become. It's an opportunity right. for pharmaceuticals. It's an opportunity to, you know, call the addiction hotline and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You, know, you see somebody that's working out and just, like, smiling and, like, they're they're better now because they're yeah. in this, like, fancy treatment center that doesn't actually have doctors that are up to date with evidence-based treatment. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of treatment centers out there, a lot of therapists, a lot of psychologists that don't stay up to date on what the evidence is saying is best practice. And I think that was prevalent for both of you and both of your treatment centers. I feel like, Robert, you, you um, experienced that in a few of your treatment centers, one of them was like a holding place pretty much. The other one, you kind of just felt like you were coloring for a week and a half. <laughs> and you know, playing chess with people in full mania. You know, fun stuff. Oh, um, yeah, I, I didn't Yeah. <laughs> and Elizabeth, I feel like... You got the padded room, you got... There's just a whole spectrum of... I had a... I will say, I had a normal mattress. Well, somewhat. I'm just still a hospital bed. Yeah. But... For me, I would say once I got to UNC, from there, I was very, very lucky because before going to UNC, where I was getting directed was, you know, people that maybe weren't specializing in eating disorders or staying up to date on um, treatment methods, but UNC is actually a really big leader in eating disorder research. Right. And so even though I was not happy being there, because who is, um, now that I can look back, I just got so lucky with where my path went. Yeah, because then from UMC, um, I did partial hospitalization with them and I did outpatient. So with outpatient, I got paired with a therapist that I loved. And then all the connections that I had from there, 
were people that Stay I from knew. Busy. Yes, and I knew were trusted. So is that something you'd suggest for someone who's struggling in this, that the UNC program is um, pretty well set up? UNC, and the thing is, there's this inpatient. So then there's different, there's inpatient, there's residential, there's partial hospitalization, there's outpatient. And unfortunately, with the way that it's set up, is you kind of get put in different levels based on your weight and your BMI percentage. Very Really? Problem, very problematic, yeah. Because they have the, you know, obviously that's a similar thing with mental health. You know, However, facilities. mental health facilities, which is what we found out while you were in the UNC emergency room, is that it's luck of the draw. So in North Carolina, you get put into a lottery in order to figure out what inpatient program you're going into. I did not know that. Yes. So wow. you get put into a lottery of basically who has a bed available is where you're going to go. So it, and we yeah. were made aware of that as you are Getting, <laughs> signing over yeah, and we'll, you're already in We'll get into that, but that was a whole fiasco. But Well, I mean, hopefully we'll already be into that before we get to this episode, so... This is true. We'll cut that out. Um, Steven! <laughs> so anyways, I, I think that that, you know, is something that we learned was it's different. It is different. You were able to choose where you wanted to be hospitalized, where you were were moved. You were moved to where they assigned you, basically. And that is the state assigns you, just like as yeah, if and you are you a also, foster child. You end up with a roommate who is the guy staring at the wall, mumbling to himself... And you're just the guy struggling with depression and some suicidal. It's very suicidal different. You, you were very different on the spectrum of where maybe people that you were rooming with versus where you were at. Right. Yeah. yeah. They, just, they kind of group everybody together. Right. And unfortunately, with the VA, it was even worse because then you have the homeless guy doing crack coming in and straight off the street, still high, getting thrown in there and... We will dive into that. But. Yeah. So I think that was a different situation for you, whereas you were, you picked you and or your parents picked UNC, or maybe you were my doctor actually, <laughs> who was not helpful in any other way except that UNC. she knew of UNC's program, um, which what a blessing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the other thing with all of this is like, it's a huge privilege to be able to afford treatment. To be able to know where to look, right? It's to find so somebody. Expensive. It's crazy. And, yeah. like, especially now with, like, just being an, going to see my therapist and, you know, dietitian and whatever, it's like, if you don't have this one insurance, you're not covered. Right. It's either you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, and sometimes they don't even accept that, or you pay out of pocket, and it's crazy expensive. And if I didn't have the privileges that I had, I would not have gotten really anywhere and the thing is so many people don't have that privilege at all yeah so then it's like then what you know then you you either live with it you die and that's horrible to think about but it's like that is kind of where you where you're at it's it's if you don't have this insurance or you can't afford to pay for treatment sucks to suck but that's where you are you know and and that's a horrible yeah and it's crazy how much insurance has plays a role in it oh yeah where they they decide, okay, you're approved for the next few days. And then mm-hmm. those days come and they might decide, hey, all right, you're done. We're, we're stopped paying yeah. it. And, and, and do they don't know. They're not doctors. They it's, don't know well, where you are. I remember it. for you, it was all based off of your doctor's notes. Basically, if your doctor said that you still were not in a good place, then the insurance was going to continue to cover you. If your doctor said that you were not suicidal anymore, insurance was going to not pay for you I anymore. think that's probably by the book what they say but I know a lot of people that really were devastated when the insurance pulled the plug and were not in a good place and and they just pulled the plug on them yeah with eating disorders again it's you know a little different but insurance does it by your weight BMI percentage and, and weight and so that then decides who gets to go into treatment if you're in a larger body naturally or not naturally insurance isn't going to cover you so you i didn't know, know that that's yeah, crazy you could be you could have been actively 
restricting food for, you know, you could be an organ failure, fucking not organ failure. I think at that point you would obviously get medical help. (laughs) My point is just that, like, you could be very, very sick, but if your BMI classification doesn't fit what insurance wants to uh, define as being sick, they're not going to cover you or they'll kick you out. So you could have somebody that gets weight restored by insurance's standards relatively quickly, but they are still in a really, really difficult headspace and they haven't gotten the therapy they need. They haven't done the psychological work and they're still really at risk, but you know, according to this number that insurance goes by, they're They're good, they're out, or they never get in. Um, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but you started with depression and you felt like that triggered into an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that changed over time with, you know, just kind of how you evolved as a person? Because, I mean, you're 26 now. I am. <laughs> um, so we're like 11 years into this journey for yeah. you, which is a long time. I mean, you think about that, it's, you know... It's a long time to be into that journey and a little under half of your life. And so I think you evolve as a person, you mature, but also how does that change becoming from an adolescent to an adult? Yeah. Um, hmm. It changed in multiple ways. Like with my depression, Unfortunately, it went very downhill before it got better. I mean, like I, I mean, I said before, I don't think I was even really that. I don't even know if I would call that depressed, because, you know, then I went to like when I started working at Bella, um, Bella Rising's, um, <laughs> like I was suicidal. Yeah. Um, I, I have no idea how I went out and did appointments. I really don't. I don't, because I would go from having a panic attack in the back room and crying to walking out and... Putting on a smile. Putting on a smile and being the pep of the appointment. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so, unfortunately, from the down, you can really only go up. Um, and so I, I had to do a lot, a lot of work, and it was very exhausting. Um it felt like all I was doing was treatment for a long time. Um, but as you get into a better headspace, it kind of, kind of catapults in a way. It's like you need to get to a certain level and then from there you can, I don't know if this is making sense, you can kind of take off a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a medication, if you find them at right meds, gets yeah, that's you to a place. Yeah, it kind of gets you, I think what um, your doctor I, said to you, it was like, it gets you to a baseline. Yeah, it gets so you to where you can do the work to get to help. Like, yeah. yeah, so like as long as your medication's good, then the therapy kind of takes care of the rest. Right. Whereas like, you kind of have to get to that baseline before you can start putting in the work with the therapist in order to get to the, yeah. the good place. Yes, and when it when we're just talking about eating disorder, then in that case it was like having enough food to where your brain can understand things and your body can function. And then, yeah, with, for me, with depression and anxiety, it was having to get medication to where I could function in therapy to benefit from it. Um, Still took a long time. Yeah, and I mean, I remember, you know, this was, what, three years ago, I can remember like scheduling lunch breaks with you to sit and eat so we can yes. stop working otherwise, and, do it. and otherwise <laughs> you wouldn't eat or you know having those conversations about like hey can you not talk about your diet because and I was ignorant to that so I was learning about that kind of stuff so at that point it, it is things that you you were becoming more aware of you were growing as a person and you were being you had a voice and that's really cool to see and I think now you're feeling like you really have a voice because you're going to be taking a career in that. Your passion, yeah. 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 So it's really amazing yeah. to kind of come full circle that, like, you're healthy. I don't know if you're ever healed. I think it's something that you work, like, you deal with for the yeah. rest of your life. Yeah. Recovery is 
always, my phone. Yeah, it's always happening. It's always it's up and down. Yeah, for sure. But I think that like now that you've decided to have a career in that, it's something that you can help other people who have experienced similar situations to to grow. And I think that's really cool to come full yeah. circle. I don't know the numbers, but I know it's rampant. Like, eating disorders or mental illness? Eating disorders within, like, I, I mean, adults. I probably know five females that are battling an uh, eating disorder at this moment in time. And it goes... That you know of. That, that yeah. I know of. And that's the thing. Yep. So underdiagnosed. Like, I mean... Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, something that's really hard to, to think about. Yeah. And we see disordered eating show up almost everywhere and we don't even know it like I thought when I went back to school and started working on this degree and when I get my master's and I get those letters after my name that when I start talking about um the harmful effects of diet and I start talking about weight not being the only metric of of health that people would be like oh well she's she's got those she's an RD she's got her master's she's done the work I can what she's saying is based in evidence and research no 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 people still because we've been taught one way I still get a lot of pushback on you know you can't tell me that it's okay to eat ice cream every day yes I can <laughs> um yes yeah because and guess what we're gonna we are we're gonna, gonna be doing eat ice this. cream we're I gonna be eating with ice cream after I, this guys I think I always use ice cream as my example um, ain't no shame. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, it's also because we've been in such a diet mentality that people are like, no, like, I've done this where, like, I go on a diet and then, you know, you say it's okay to eat, eat ice cream, so I, I eat ice cream and then I've eaten the whole gallon. And that goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, well, that's a really normal reaction. Mm-hmm. Because you've been suppressing that for yes. so long, now you're going to, yeah. like, divulge it's into It's very it. normal. And what's really hard is to trust your body and say okay, I mean, I have to kind of lean into this, right? So when I was recovering from binge eating disorder and giving myself permission to eat whatever kind of, whatever my body wanted, you know, sometimes it felt really overwhelming because I'd find myself just binging. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm getting help though. Why am I doing this? But it was a physiological reaction and it's very normal and you you know, my body needed to kind of, like, level out and get used to the fact that it was going to get food frequently and it was going to get a variety um, and it didn't have to be scared all the time. I, I stopped when I had binge eating disorder. I no longer felt hungry or full. Right. Uh, just didn't have those cues. My body stopped getting them to my brain. Um, so I had to work on getting those back, which is weird. I mean, <laughs> very common, but weird. But, I mean, I... I totally gone off topic That's but yeah good. eating disorders and disordered eating and body image yeah I mean it, it's it's everywhere it's in advertising I remember seeing this Yoakley commercial um, of a woman in her office she goes to the refrigerator she sees a cake and she wants the cake but just diet and she you know doesn't want to break her diet and feel guilty and horrible for eating cake um which has moral value, but then she sees next to the cake a cake flavored yogurt, and she's elated because she can have her oh have her cake in here too. Oh, <laughs> <No>. she can <laughs> she can eat the cake flavored yogurt, and she's happy. And I'm like, I was this is in the depths of my anorexia that I saw this commercial, and I was like, so I'm not sick because she just did what I always do, right? So I'm fine. Right. Hmm. That makes sense. You know, you see yeah. that stuff, and it's like... Just like you were talking about yeah. the Cymbalta commercial. <laughs> yeah. Episode one. Um, and not to bash any of these these things. Yopla yogurt is delicious. Oh, absolutely. We love Yopla yogurt. Cymbalta is so, delicious. Cymbalta has, <laughs> <laughs> has helped. I think it's I just... Love it, it, it's it's cool. maybe like the way that it's marketed. It's not always the best way possible. But to wrap everything up, thanks so much for being on the show today, Elizabeth, and we'll see you next week. Hey folks, real quick, I want to tell you about a need-to-have product for your home, the Auto Fire Guard, or better known as AFG Fireball. 
This product performs better than a fire extinguisher or overhead sprinkler system. Ashton and I wish we had known about the Fireball prior to our house fire, but we sleep better now that we have one. Get yours today at quoradistribution.com. That's Q-U-O-R-A distribution.com. And use code HELDTOGETHER at checkout for your discount. Again, that's HELDTOGETHER. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in our episode this week. We hope you subscribe and give us that five-star review. We would like to thank Alex Mannering for our artwork and Audio Jungle for our music. The podcast was done by Robert and me. We'll see you next week.